This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Okay, so uh, session number two. I don't know how many, I never know how many sessions there are going to be. Someone said to me, how long does this current class go? And my standard answer was, um, till we're done. So that's all I know. Um, so where did we leave off last week? Five. Five? So we, we, we hadn't even started five, had we? No, I didn't think so. So number one and two and three... Uh, again, you know, we're talking about, I've got, I've got listed here for you 10 appearances. Some say there's 9, some say there's 11, whatever. I don't know if the number's all that important. It, what's important is that Jesus did appear, <laughs> resurrected, uh, that his message to those to whom he appeared is the same message that applies in our hearts and in our lives as well. So, um, just by way of review... Uh, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene early on Easter morning was number one. Uh, number two, he met with the other women who were returning from the city. Um, and then somewhere along the line, we have two verses, that's it, that say, oh yeah, he appeared to Peter. We ended up with the uh, disciples on their way to Emmaus. And that was a rather lengthy conversation on a rather long and dusty road of seven miles, which gave them some opportunity to really dig in to Scripture. So when Jesus got to the home, he acted like he was going to go on. And they, oh, no, 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 stay with us. And uh, it's when he broke bread, right? And he gave thanks uh, that uh, the people were uh, aware, the two disciples were aware of who it was. And as soon as they're aware of who it was, what happens? Man, thanks, Jesus. Just when we get it, you disappeared. All right. Number five. That's where we're going to start today. Jesus appears to ten apostles and others. Um, we did mention in Mark chapter 16... There's some brief conversation of Jesus' appearances. We also said that Mark's gospel probably ended at verse 8, verses 9 following, were probably added later on, but it's not any new kind of theology. It reiterates what's found in, in the other gospels as well. So... Let's just, um, let's jump past Mark and let's go to Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke 24, 33 to 43. Um, this is after the road to Emmaus, uh, which, by the way, is the... Um, Gospel lesson for this week in church, Road, road to Emmaus. We have a, a two-week sermon series, On the Road with Jesus. We're going to do the Road to Emmaus, and then On the Road Again, and that's the sermon hymn, is On the Road Again, yeah. So Joan will be singing that for us. She'll be our, our leader on that, On the Road Again. Um, 
she's, <laughs> she's going to channel her best Willie Nelson. Uh, and uh, her sister is going to sing with her. It's going to be a duet. Yeah. And then the next week we'll be on the road to Damascus with uh, St. Paul. So, All right. We, however, are um, hanging out in a room with the disciples. Are you ready? We're going to go back to 33. Uh, and, that, and they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself? Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, they, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. And where? To all nations beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So let's look at this particular one. Then we're going to go, jump over to the John chapter 20, which is, many believe, the same, same occurrence, but seen from a different angle. What interests me is in verse 36, while they're talking about these things, what things? The appearance of Jesus to two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the appearing of Jesus to Peter. While they're talking about the fact that Jesus is risen and stands among them, he appears to them. Isn't it amazing that they what? Verse 37. Frightened and thought they saw a ghost. In the middle of their conversation about seeing Jesus alive, he now appears to them and they are frightened. If anyone thinks that the Gospels are just a made-up story, again, I do not think you would have the followers of the hero this stupid, <laughs> this disbelieving. You would have written something like, and they all stood and cheered and put him on their shoulders and marched around the city. Instead, they're frightened to death. They're behind locked doors. They think they see a ghost. They've just been talking about his resurrection. Doesn't make sense. And he even questions him. What, what gives, says Jesus? Why, why are these doubts in your hearts? Here you go. You need proof? Take a look. 
my hands and my feet. And he even invites them to do what? Touch. So remember when we had Jesus saying, you can't hang on to me, Mary? Again, it wasn't, you can't touch me because, you know, I'm holy now. And, uh, it, it was, no, you're, our relationship is going to be different. I'm not going to be hanging out here on earth with you as I had been. So now the invitation is, if you need proof, my dear friends, here you go. You can touch. You can see. All right, show of hands. Who at this point would have run up and shoved your finger in the hole in his hands? <laughs> that would have been interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so if Jesus went like this, he could still see you. Yeah, he kept his scars, didn't he? Yeah, again, I think we mentioned last week, he kept those, not, not that when we get to heaven, he goes, hey, yeah, thanks a lot, look what I had to go through. But it was, hey, never forget how much I love you. I love you this much. It's, those are beautiful marks. Those are, those are the original beauty marks. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if anyone dared do it. You know, touch. Doesn't say. I wonder. We're going to talk about that. A spirit, does, go ahead. Thomas wouldn't have been there at the first one, right? Yeah, so then the next one, because he's the guy, we're going to see that pretty soon, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You bunch of lunatics listening to those washwomen and their stories of fantasy. Crazy. And Jesus emphasizes a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I want to emphasize that. Jesus rose physically, bodily. He ascends, we're going to find out, physically and bodily. This is extremely important because it proves that we will be raised, not just in spirit, but physically as well as spirit. Why does he say you're 11 years old? Yeah, you had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> it's a great question, isn't it? It's 11, and then when we get to John, it's how many? 10. So the question is this, in verse 33, they found the 11 and those gathered, okay? So Thomas must be there. It could be he left before we got to ver verse 36. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is, which is exactly what a theological doctorate is. Come up with something no one else has come up with. But it is. Uh, I mean, some say maybe this is, this is what happened. But there's a lot of folks who point out that, oh, this shows there's discrepancies, right, in the Scripture. It's like, um, okay, the Bible says Jesus fed 5,000. Ah, the other gospel writer said it was four. Different event. Yeah. So he shows them hands and feet. While they still disbelieved, for what reason? For joy. Too good to be true. Exactly. For a while they disbelieved out of fear. Now they're disbelieving out of joy. Unbelievable. Crazy. 
they were marveling. Oh, this is unbelievable. And while, while they say that, he said, hey, got something to eat? It's not necessarily that he would say, man, I haven't had anything to eat in the last three days. It's what reason? I'm going to show you that I'm human. I'm physical. Ghosts, ghosts usually don't sit down to breakfast. And, and so he eats, right? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it. He ate it before them. And then, so here's, here's what happens. He begins with, hey, it's me. Take a look, take a touch, give me something to eat. I'm here physically, it's really me. Then we move to, I'm the fulfillment of the scriptures. These are the words I spoke to you. How many times didn't Jesus say, you know, it's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinners and that he, what, be crucified and die and rise again on the third day? He told them how it ends. And they didn't believe and this is, this is big, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. These are the three sections of the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay. The Law of Moses would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah or the Pentateuch, the Law. The Prophets are all the writings. First and Second Samuel, First and Kings, Chronicles, Lamentations, Ruth, right? We can do the the, the four major and twelve minor prophets, and the Psalms, one through fifty. Everything in there, Jesus says, is about me. The guys who are who who met with Jesus on the road to Emmaus were in this conversation. I wonder what they thought. Yep, I know, we heard this. Yep, got it, exactly. Listen to this, this is big. And then in verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We cannot understand the scriptures unless we're guided by the grace of God. That's what faith is all about. And thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. I mean, Isaiah 53 is about that. Psalm 22 and Psalm 16 are about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's number three that he wants to convey. Number one, I'm alive, it's me, I'm whole, I'm body and soul. Number two, but again, it is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I'm the Messiah that everybody's been waiting for. Number three, the reason I did all this was to bring forgiveness of sins. It's your job now to get the news out. Those are the three big things that Jesus wanted to convey to these guys. Any questions on this one? The more familiar account is John. We, get, we usually get this one as part of the, the readings. And it's John 20, it's 19 and 20. And I'm going to go a little farther than 19 and 20. You ready? On the evening of that day, which would be Easter, right? So we're Easter evening. 
They just finished finding their Easter baskets, eating a couple jelly beans, finishing the ham sandwiches, right? Oh, that would be the next year. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's a more abbreviated account, isn't it? So number one, it's me. Number two, get on the road. We don't have the eating of the bread or of the fish. So the, the, the thing of, of this is, um, well, first of all, I want to say that the first thing Jesus says to these gathered disciples is peace. Um, the angels announced that at the nativity, didn't they? Peace on earth. This is the, um, Isaiah said that he would be called the prince of peace. So peace is found in, in Jesus. So um, on this one, uh, it, it, it's deeper in the idea of forgiveness. Did you notice that? Yeah. It's the idea of, of forgiveness, and, and it ends with this. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. They're retained. That's powerful. Don't you think? So a woman's caught in adultery. That's one that should not be forgiven according to that old law. As a matter of fact, she should be stoned. Remember that in John chapter 8? And yet Jesus, Jesus says, who's left to condemn you after they all walk away because no one can throw the first stone? And she says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. How do you know how to forgive and not forgive? You forgive the sins of those you like and don't forgive the sins of those you don't like. Or do you forgive the sins of the people who think just like you do and agree with you and then don't forgive the sins of those who don't agree with you? I mean, what's the criterion for forgiveness? or retention, because it doesn't say just go and blanket, oh, God, God loves everybody, so everybody goes to heaven. Let's think back to John 3.16. You probably don't even have to look that one up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus died for everybody's sins, correct? Objective justification. Oh, you're going to get good theological words today. That's called objective justification. It's the wide sense that Jesus did die for the sins of the whole world. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's subjective justification. Jesus dies for the sins of the world. Whoever believes in him, whoever embraces that forgiveness is forgiven. I do it this way in confirmation class. Um, I, always, I always 
ask, what's, what's the best meal that the hot lunch program provides, which I can't ask anymore, which is okay because I'm not teaching confirmation anymore, so it all worked out wonderfully. And they will usually say uh, that their favorite, favorite meal is um, one of two things. It's either chicken nuggets or French toast sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's usually the kid that says, oh, I love French toast sticks. So I, I, I will say, okay, Ted, you like French toast sticks? So here's my story that 40 years from now, there are these Ted's French toast sticks emporiums all over the world. And, and you get a letter in the mail. Everyone in confirmation class gets a letter and it says, hey, I'm Ted. Remember me? I was in your confirmation class at First Emmanuel Lutheran School. And I'm the owner of Ted's original French Toast Sticks Emporium. And I have handed you in your hand, in this letter, is a deed to one of those many, many emporiums. All you need to do is sign it, send it back to me. It's really already yours. All you have to do is acknowledge that. And some of you are going to say, that Ted, he, I knew he was going to amount to something. This is really cool. And you signed it and you send it. And you make a million bucks a year by doing nothing but eating French toast sticks. Some of you are going to say, well, yeah, I, perhaps. I think I'll set it aside, see how things work, and maybe forget about it. Others of you say, there's no way. Because well, I, there's this, first of all, there's no way Ted would have done that. There's no way that I'm signing this because I'm probably signing Ted's second mortgage on his house. So I'm, I'm shredding it. I don't want anything to do with it. Those who believe respond because of faith become millionaires because of Ted's graciousness. Right? They didn't do anything to earn it. Ted did all the hard work. This is where forgiveness comes in, right? So, and it says you're preaching a couple of things. Um, in, in Luke, it talked about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. These are kissing cousins. So the question is this, what is repentance? That's a big question. What is repentance? And repentance, if you know your small catechism, is comprised of two things. One, that you're sorry. And two, that you trust in Jesus to be your savior. Along with sorry goes, I don't want to do that anymore. Which is why Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, get out of that sinful lifestyle. He did not say to her, you know, you'll remain forgiven as long as you never, ever, ever commit another sin as long as you live. He didn't say that. Go and sin no more. Get out of this. I've redeemed you from this. So repentance is, I'm, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? It wasn't the severity of their sin. Both of their sins are severe. Every sin is severe. They both were sorry. Peter trusted Jesus. Judas did not. That's, that's the parting way. So, to be sorry of sin and to trust in Jesus as forgiveness is repentance. If someone comes and says, well, okay, 
I got caught, I don't know, whatever. But you know, everybody does it. Is not repentance. Oh man, we could say that sin was awful. It's just crushed my life, it's horrible. I don't think Jesus could ever forgive that one. That is not repentance. It's contrition, but it's not repentance. Repentance involves contrition and trusting in Jesus. This is why Jesus says to the Pharisees seven times, Woe to you Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. Did the Pharisees want to be righteous? Sure. They went about it all wrong, right? They trusted in themselves instead of denying themselves, taking up the cross and following Jesus. That's what we do. We deny ourselves. In other words, we say, boy, I'm not perfect, and I, I really wish I were, but I'm not. And we take up the cross of Christ and say, he is the perfect one who has redeemed me, and we follow him in contrition, repentance, and what follows that is forgiveness. So we don't have what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Those who say, oh, if God loves everybody, everybody will get to heaven. Cheap grace. Yeah. Have you, have you ever heard someone say, yeah, I know believing in Jesus gets you to heaven, but you know, I have some friends who don't believe in Jesus, but they're really, 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 really good people. Have you heard that one? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that might even flash in our own mind, huh? It's like, oh, but that such a dear friend and loves me so much and, I, and, and cares for me, would do anything for me. And yet, is that friend perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Yes, I am. You didn't know this? No, I'm not perfect. But Jesus is. So Jesus is the factor. All right, there's got to be some questions or comments on that. Oh, see, this is, you're, not, you're not allowed to come next week. You're asking, all, troublemaker, asking all those questions. Yeah, that's a great question. What about those who've never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Or let's even put it in, let's even put it in our uh, culture. How about those parents who say, I don't want my kids to have anything to do with Jesus? Yikes. Is there more than one way to be saved? I remember I had, I had someone come in the office, and they were really struggling with this question. But what about, and, and it's always the extreme, what about the person that's born on the island and was not? First of all, there's no one on the island, and they were born on the island. I don't know. This is the mystery. And, and then they'll do, well, okay, the mother was on the island, gave birth, and died as she gave birth. Who's raising this child? Monkeys. Okay, so we've got monkeys raising the child. Never had a chance to hear about Jesus. And... I asked this parent this question, if indeed you can get to heaven without ever hearing about Jesus, why in tarnation are we telling our kids? Because there's a chance that our kids could fall away from Jesus. So maybe we should just put them in an isolation booth. Never tell them about Jesus. If indeed you can be saved by ignorance or belief, right? So the question comes, is it fair? Is it fair? It would be as if we were driving through Cedarburg and there's no, there's no speed limit. 
And the policeman pulls us over and says, I got to arrest you for speeding. Well, what's the speed limit here? 25. Oh, I didn't see the sign. We don't have signs. Yeah, you were doing 26. That's a $100,000 fine or 10 years in prison or both. And we would say, it's not fair. Yeah. I leave this in the hands of God. And I do believe that, that for those who persecute the Christian church, I think hell's a little bit different. Know what I mean? I don't, I don't think, I don't, I'm going to be careful that I don't go too far because as I tell you, here's what I think. My, immor- my, my mortal mind cannot meet the immortal. Um, but I, there is one way. But for those who've never had the opportunity, which is going to be hard to find these days, um, boy, I leave that in the hands of a gracious, loving God. And I say to him, thank you very much for not putting me in the position of making a decision. Does that work? Did, did I chicken out well, well enough for you? No, yeah. Nature does, yeah. St. Paul would say, and nature identifies there is a God, but nature cannot tell you who the God is, right? Because, like, and because nature screams out there is a God, we have so many different faiths and religions. You got people who worship creation and so forth. So we call this natural knowledge. Really, everybody knows there's a God. And I know there are some who say, oh, there's no God, absolutely not. It all happened by accident. Well, I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, you do have to say somehow, some way, all this got started, which would come out to be whatever your God is. The only way to know the God is through the revelation of the Word, yeah. which is why the first thing that Jesus does after he tells them who he is is who they are. You are the redeemed who have to get the word out. There was a hand up. There was a hand up. Mary. Something that always has bothered me is when you have parents that say, I'm not going to teach or baptize my children. I'm, I'm, I want them to make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah. And it's like these are children, and if you're not guiding them, yep. how are they going to make yep. decisions? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my answer to that, and I had, a, I had someone say to me, ah, we're going to wait and we're going to let our kids pick their own path. And I said, okay, so I noticed you have your child dressed in green. How do you know that child likes the color green? You should leave your baby naked until they... But, and, and I noticed you fed them strained carrots. How do you know they, they like carrots? Maybe they don't want carrots. You shouldn't feed them until they get old enough to choose. And why are you going to teach them to speak English? Maybe they want to speak Spanish. Or maybe they want to speak German or Chinese or French. You know, why are you, why are you going to influence them on anything? You don't have a choice. And the, the answer is, well, we have to clothe them, we have to feed them, we have to teach them to communicate so they can get along in the world. Exactly. You want to get along in the next world, which lasts longer than this world? That's your responsibility. So in the Old Testament, after the giving of the commandments, um, 
you know, the Lord says, I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and the fourth generation. That doesn't mean that if your great grandpa was an ax murderer that God's taking it out on you. What it means is if, if you as a parent are not sharing the truth of Jesus with your children, they're not going to share it with their children and they're not going to share it with their children and they're not going to share it with their children. You have instigated the sin of, of all of your offspring for generations. That's what he's talking about. It, it's not like a specific sin that's going to follow you forever. What about the person that does not want to forgive someone else? And then can they be forgiven even though they're not forgiving? Yeah, else? boy, these are wonderful questions. <laughs> That's an hour one. That's a, you know, there's the, <clears throat> Jesus says it, right? You know, if you don't want to forgive your brother, why should the Father forgive you? Because forgiveness is this. You know, and maybe we should no longer say, I forgive you. Maybe we should say through Jesus, I have the privilege of saying you're forgiven. It's not my forgiveness. I didn't, I didn't go to the cross for it. The thing about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness belongs to God. He's, he's poured it into my life so I can have a good relationship with him. And now I get to pour it into the lives of others so we can have a good relationship, right? So when I've offended someone and, they, and, and I say, oh man, I, I goofed up, I'm really, really sorry. Or maybe they come to me and say, you goofed up. And I say, you know, yeah, I did, I'm really sorry. And, and then when I hear that, hey, that's okay. Jesus died for all sins, including this one. We're okay. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I have a a dear friend that we reconnected. We had gone to college and played in the tennis team together and, and, and we reconnected and, and asked him how things were. After 25 years of marriage, they had divorced and it was pretty, pretty difficult divorce and they still don't talk. He said, hey, you know, it's kind of tough. When we have birthdays, you know, we're in the same room and it's uncomfortable for everybody. And when we, you know, he said, thank goodness, our kids are now over 18. But boy, when we had to make decisions, it was hell. And um, I said, well, um, you want it to be better? Of course. I said, well, who was at fault in this divorce? He said, well, there's never any one person who's at fault. I said, okay. Then call her up and just say, hey, for my part in all of this, what led up to the divorce and my actions afterwards, I want to say I am sorry. I've been to the cross. I've been forgiven, and, and I just want to say I'm sorry to you, and I hope that someday you can forgive me. He said, you want me to do that? <laughs> and I said, not, not really me, probably Jesus. And he, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. So about three days later, he called and said, well, I did it. And the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done for me and for her, because after I said it, there was dead silence on the phone. And I said, and then what did she say when she talked? She said, oh, okay. But then she called me the next day and said, can you forgive me? Yeah. And that's been about five, six years ago. And he said, you know, we've had weddings now and we've had baptisms and we can get along. <laughs> Doesn't mean we're ever going to get remarried. Because each of us are remarried already, but we can sit in the same room as forgiven children 
and we can think about our kids, and we've left our children with an example. I said, well, there you go. Wasn't that great? Yeah. See what the Holy Spirit can do? So I guess my point is this. I didn't really answer your question. If, if you want to say, I absolutely refuse to forgive that particular person or that particular sin, you stand in jeopardy. In other words, you don't know if you're going to make it or not. I would be really, I would, I would say, you need to get on your knees and say, I'm sorry I didn't forgive, Lord. And maybe what the prayer needs to be is, Lord, give me the strength and the passion and the wisdom. Give me your heart. Because you forgave people who are far more sinful than the person that is asking for my forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, someone once asked me, what happens if someone's, I got mad at someone in third grade and I never forgave them. Am I going to go to hell? Because I, well, No, we live in this state of grace, right? So, so we don't want to make my ability to forgive into a good work, right? Because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Yeah. So God forgave Moses then, even though he did not let him into the Yeah, good question. Remember Moses was supposed to tap the rock, right? And he, and he beat the bejesus out of that rock with that stick and God said, you know, here's the thing. You're not entering in the promised land. But don't you think Moses was sorry? For what I, he was. And could not God as a merciful God forgive him? And he did. But he wouldn't let him in the land. Exactly. So if I get pulled over by a police officer and I say, hey, officer, we have a police officer uh, in our congregation. We got a couple of them, and one's in Sockville, right? So if I go through Sockville too fast, he pulls me over. Oh, pastor, did you know you were doing 87 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone? <laughs> I, I did not. My, my odometer, my speedometer must be off or something. Well, okay. Um, and, 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 I, and I would say, you know, I am sorry. I humbly repent. I trust in Jesus. And could you forgive me? And Yes, I'll forgive you. But here's your ticket. It's six points and $500. So forgiveness and earthly responsibilities are two different things. Yeah. So Jeff Dahmer evidently came to faith, right? But he even said, I deserve to die. But because of Jesus, I get to go to heaven. Yeah. And he forgave David. Yes, but David's child died. But David still stayed married to Beth. Yes. And had another yep. child. Yep. Yep. God let him leave, be king. Yep. Yep. And forgave him. Yeah. Moses got something better. <coughs> True, he died. <laughs> he got to go to heaven, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's difficult for us to be able to determine how God figures out after someone's forgiven what path they get to take, right? And it's not. It's his plan. And, you know, we just trust that his way is always right, you know. But there's been times when we've said, seriously, that person gets to whatever after all of that, and that person doesn't, you know. I remember, I remember dealing with someone who got a, a huge, huge prison sentence and a, and a lengthy uh, probation sentence. And what that person did was far less, it wasn't right. It was far less than what someone else did that same week in the city of Milwaukee and got eight months. 
and this person got eight and a half years in state prison with 16 years of supervised probation. And you would say, oh, Ozaki, how come? In Milwaukee? Oh, well. you know, I, we scratch our heads and, and we don't get it. But, but the person said to me, it was part of God's plan. And I was able to touch a lot of lives. So I said, oh, okie dokie. Isn't it, isn't it important to have, even though you can't tell someone you're sorry, because you don't see them anymore, yep. but that you can yep. have in your heart, oh, yeah. I forgive that person yep. and, and make sure they know. Yeah, yeah. When we, for, when we offer forgiveness, that's our job. I can't make people repent. I can't make them feel sorry. I can't make them cling to the cross. I can't make them talk to me. And you know, I, this is kind of tough. When someone's really ticked off at you, I've had a couple of people like that every week. <laughs> that's a good week. <laughs> it's a, it's not, Ted, that's not a bad week. You're right. Um, and, and I've had people, I don't want to come in and talk. I don't need to hear what you have to say. I don't, again, my job is, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you that you let me see forgiveness. Thank you that I screw up just like that other person and I'm forgiven and I pray that their heart would be open to your forgiveness. And that when we get to heaven, we can embrace. That's it. Well, it wasn't fair that Jesus died either. You can look at it that way. Yeah, if you really want to look at fairness, I should have been the one on the cross. And I should be spending eternity in hell. Yeah. It's a good thing God's not fair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. By a worldly sense. Yeah, the cross is where grace and mercy meet. You know, mercy is that we don't get what we really deserve, and grace is that we do get what we don't really deserve. Yeah. Yeah. These are good questions. You people are good. <laughs> um, now, I know that. Luther, that, that heaven is not filled with just LCMS Lutherans. But I'm wondering. Wait a minute. Whoa. I know. Whoa. I know. Oh my <laughs> there are a few others. But I'm, I'm wondering about. Um, How do you know? When I think about some of the non denoms that are out there who are, where they talk just about the good news, just about yep. the gospel, yep, yep. and they're only talking about, um, you know, you're all going to heaven because. God loves everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then so how, do they, how do you approach, you know, how do they approach repentance? Do they do that? Do they even think Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I've listened to some non-denom preachers, and they do talk about being sinful. I have a sciatic nerve thing, so I'm going to sit for a little while. Um, they, they do talk about, about sin. Um, it, it may not be, you know, for those of us who are in a liturgical setting, um, you know, we have a confession and absolution at the beginning. I, I mentioned this from, the, from a sermons before. A young lady that came to visit church, and she came for weeks, and then I didn't see her, so I called. Everything okay? She said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I just didn't find your church to be all that happy at the beginning. You, every week you talked about, oh, that we're sinners, and we're sinners. I found a church that doesn't really talk about sin. It just talks about the happiness we have in Jesus. And my comment was, 
that's the happiness we have in Jesus, is that we can say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. However, I'm, I'm a, a graciously forgiven sinner, and I'm one in Jesus. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, it's important to hear. And, and I think in the, the non-denoms, you'll hear, you know, hey, we're sinners, but in Christ Jesus, we are saved. Um, but I, I think that whole liturgical part is very helpful. Even in our contemporary service, we have a confession and absolution. So we do have those components. I see that as one of the marks of, of worship. You know, worship is, sometimes we see worship as I, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to go give praise to God and I'm going to go give him my prayers. That's the second half of worship, I think. I think primary part of worship is I go there to receive what only God can give me. And I go there to be reminded my sin is forgiven. I go there to get my faith fed so that I can respond with prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Well, and I yeah. think in your preaching, you're tying in OT and New Testament stuff. Also, yeah. So we get the balance. Yeah. Yep. 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 You know, so for Lutherans, um, and Luther really emphasized this. This was a big part of Luther. So we have to remember, Luther, Luther grew up and served in, in a church culture that kept saying, you got to do this, 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 which would be law emphasis, right? So Luther says there is a balance between law and gospel. And he would say, the law is there to show me my sin, and the gospel is there to show me my Savior. So the law end isn't so much of here's what you have to do to be saved. Really, the preaching of the law is here's who you are. You need to be saved. And then we get to the gospel that's here, here's who Jesus is, and you are saved. Yeah, so there's that really important balance. And then, you know, I, I, when I work with younger pastors, I always say preach the law and the gospel and then tell people how to live it. Go do an application. Yeah. So that when someone gets to their car, we don't want them to say, so what? We want them to say, now what? Yeah. What's the application? How has this changed my life? Yeah. Boy, these are this is good stuff. We got through one. Nearly. Nearly. That's good. Ask more questions. Those are good. You, you got great questions, you school teacher, you. That's the school teacher table right there. <laughs> The, the Lutheran educated school table over there. Do you suddenly feel drawn over there, Pam? Ah, nine years can seem to be an eternity, though. Depends what classroom you have. <laughs> All right. I, you know what? We should really get Thomas in this, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. So. John is the only one who records this. And I'm sure Thomas said to John, seriously, I begged the other three not to put it in. And, and, and John said to him, well, someone's got to tell the story. Oh, thanks, John. So here it is. John chapter 20. And uh, we're going to start at 24, if that's okay. We're going to start there if it isn't. Um, this is number six on your sheet. Jesus appears to the Apostle Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, his name was Didymus, 
So he evidently had a twin. So he wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the Lord, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, ah, he was from, he was from Ozaki County. <laughs> ah, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and do what? Place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, it doesn't say not believe, I will never believe. I need me some proof. Eight days later, which in, if, you're, if you're counting, this would be the next Sunday. They always counted part of a day as a whole day. So it would be Easter Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, eight days later. His disciples were inside again. Don't these guys ever go outside and play? It's video games. That's what was going on here. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same thing he said before. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, bud. Mr. Big Shot. See my hands? Put your hand out. Place it in my side. We get the idea in the Greek that Jesus entered this room and was probably on the other side of the room. It really says, bring your finger over here. So he isn't like, he doesn't appear next to him. He appears across, which I think is important because it forces that guy to make a move. Mr. Big Shot. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, right? It's calling the bully out. Isn't it? This is, okay, Mr. Big Shot, you want to, you want, I'm okay with it. I offered this to the guys last week, right? I said to them, touch me, go ahead. All righty, here you go. He says, bring your finger over here and see my hands. Now put out your hand and thrust it into my side. Literally, shove your hand into me if this is what you need. You can shove your hand into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. It does not say he touched him. It does not say he came near to him. What it does say is, Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? We don't know. Did he touch? We don't know. Doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, you believe me because you touched me, because you've seen me. Seeing is believing, <laughs> right? Seeing is believing. So um, when does this happen? It's a week after Easter. Where? They're still locked in that upper room. Things haven't calmed down yet. So what happens? It's the appearance of Jesus to all the disciples, especially targeting our friend Thomas. But this is a really important one because in, in 33 more days from this episode, Jesus is going to ascend. The only way to believe in him is without seeing from that point forward, right? 
The next one's a little longer. I don't think we can do it in five minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and again, that whole breathing thing, the panoima in the Greek is used as the word breath and spirit. And it was, many see this as almost like the ordination. As a matter of fact, Luther, when he wrote the ordination, um, the ordination uh, liturgy, uh, they breathed on, on the ordained, right? Yeah, can you imagine if you did that, like had that garlic sandwich <laughs> right before you did the ordination? Might not be appropriate. A herring sandwich, right? <laughs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it, it was a great demonstration that you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. You can't believe without the Holy Spirit. You can't live without the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to preach without the Holy Spirit. And when we got into that, when we were in that Luke one, remember um, we just read earlier was, you know, just hang out till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? Stay in the city, in Jerusalem, stay here. Don't go back north, hang out here until the Holy Spirit comes on you. Does it mean the Holy Spirit was not on them before? No, 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 doesn't mean that. Not at all. What it means is that you're going to be, um, well, let's do it this way. If someone says, um, boy, I've got an important task to do. Can you pray that the Holy Spirit would be with me? We don't say, what, the Holy Spirit's not with you now? What's your problem? No, what we're asking for is what? The direction of God, right? You are a child of God. And now I'm saying, pray that the Holy Spirit would guide me. You know, I got something important I need to do. And it's a reminder I can't do it on my own, but I do need the Holy Spirit. And, and really, in essence, it's also a praying that I would have the mind to say, I need the help of God. I think this is what's going on here, Steve, is you got these guys who are scared. They don't even want to leave the room. And yet Jesus says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to go like around the world and share the good news. Seriously, we're not even leaving here. We're actually thinking of dying here. Because if we leave, we're probably going to die. And, and he said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Just hang on. It'll be good. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.